0: All right, Psalm 126, God's Word says this, When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. It says, Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. Hear this, We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. This is the word of the Lord. I want to introduce this psalm by giving you a brief history of Of Israel's God's chosen and called out people. And I believe this brief history will help us understand this passage a little bit more clearly and apply it to uh, our lives, our hearts, our journey, our path with Christ. Uh, Israel is, as I mentioned, God's called out people, saved from enslavement uh, in Egypt. Last summer, we went through a series in the book of Exodus where we just went chapter by chapter uh, seeing how God delivered these people uh, from under the hand of Pharaoh. Later, uh, they take hold of the promised land. They're brought into the promised land by God's leadership and under the godly leadership of men like Moses and Joshua They eventually, though, in this land, demand a king. They demand a king, and the first one that is chosen is is King Saul. He started out okay, but he didn't end so great, did he? Kind of fell from grace. But under the leadership of the next king, King David, Israel headed into a, a time of unprecedented flourishing, which continued into... Uh, the kingship of Solomon, but then after Solomon, things really start to break apart. Actually, under Solomon, it starts to, there's some chinks in the armor in the kingdom. The kingdom begins to divide at this point, and eventually splits into into two kingdoms: the northern kingdom, which was called Israel, and the southern kingdom called Judah. Eventually, the the northern kingdom was was basically it was led by evil king after evil king after evil king and they were overcome they were spread out and they just ceased to exist and you still had Judah in the southern kingdom they fared better for a season but eventually they were taken into captivity in that time period the the word of god the scriptures really detail this the lament of god's people as they're ripped from their home and placed into captivity, and Jerusalem is sacked, and the temple is desecrated, and it's just a terrible, terrible scene. But in Jeremiah 29, we get this beautiful promise that God's going to bring his people back. God is faithful, isn't he? God's faithful to his people. He promises to bring them back out of exile and deliver them back into the land. In the Old Testament, it brings us to the, to the end of the historical books, Ezra and Nehemiah, which detail God calling and leading His people back into the land. I believe this, this psalm hits on that remembrance of that time, that restoration of God's people to the land. I'm reminded as I was reading through this of of an amazing scene in Nehemiah chapter 8. Write that down and read through that this week. In Nehemiah chapter 8, I'll just give you a quick summary. Nehemiah chapter 8, God's people are gathered together again. And it has to be a mass of people because Ezra is, is preaching the law to the people. And it says that there were priests spread out among the people so that they could interpret it for them and explain it to them. I think probably to carry the word further because they, they probably couldn't hear Ezra all the way in the back. And so you get this picture of this mass of people and they're hearing the word of God, the law of God preached to them. And it says this in in Nehemiah 8, as as Ezra reads the law of God to the people, it says this, they weep, they wept. But Ezra, Nehemiah, and the priest, in the midst of the weeping of the people, encourage them to lift their eyes up and to, to celebrate, to take joy in the Lord. They're encouraged to celebrate joyfully, because God's Word says this, for the day was holy. It says, for the day was holy. Now, in, in, the, in those people's lives, we know, most of us know the history of Israel from that point. It's, it's a tumultuous history, up and down. They were encouraged to lift their eyes up, to have a joy in the Lord, But that didn't mean that they would not face future trials and tribulation. They did. They still do. But in that time, in that place, they were to celebrate and be joyful and carry that kind of deep-seated joy throughout their lives. Why? For the Lord has delivered you. The Lord has restored you. This is, we see in, in the nation of Israel, in the life of Israel, just kind of a roller coaster of an existence. I wrote a blog this last week uh, going through Psalm 125, and I mentioned in there, if you guys read that, that I love roller coasters. Who here likes roller coasters? I, okay, there's a few of you crazies with me, right? Like roller coasters. I love roller coasters. Give me the biggest, baddest roller coaster. Strap me in there. Let's go, right? Let's go take a ride. I love when. When I come, get strapped in, you get locked in, this thing's supposed to hold you in the car, and you come out, and usually all roller coasters start with an ascent, right, going up, and, and you hear the sound, click, 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 click. I love that sound, because right, it means we're about ready to have some fun, right? And so you climb and climb and climb, but what happens, right, that your heart gets going and you get nervous, your stomach kind of starts stirring around a little bit, and then you hit that first descent down, and everybody screams and is laughing. Some are screaming in terror, some are screaming in jubilation and gladness. I love that first drop. I love when you go around the loop, and it's like you're not sure if you're going to make it through that thing or not. Like, am I, is centrifugal force really going to hold me into this, or am I going to come flying out? I love the when the roller coaster kind of banks around this way and it'll take you in this little downward spiral because you can feel what I think are like G-forces just kind of press you back against the seat. I love that feeling. Some of you are like, I hate that feeling. <laughs> Up and down, right? And through the course of the roller coaster, even if you enjoy them, there's, there's a healthy dose of fear in there. Like, is this thing really going to hold together? Is this, is this thing really locked in? Like, I'm the guy, like, I give it an extra little... <clears throat> when they they kind of clip me in, because I want to make sure. Life is kind of like that, isn't it? There's moments of of that anticipation of heading up the hill, the the click-clack going up, and your heart's racing, and there's moments of joy and laughter and adrenaline. There's moments of great fear and struggle as you're pressed back against the seat. That's what life is like. It's kind of like a roller coaster, especially our life in Christ is up and down and up and down and valleys. This is our journey. One of the themes that we've had throughout the Psalms of Ascent is that these are journey psalms. The Israelites would sing these 15 psalms as they went to Jerusalem to celebrate different festivals throughout the year, and they would sing these as they went along the way. And I believe they're so applicable to our life now as we travel through and reading these to be encouraged. And this morning, we're looking at this topic of joy or being rooted in the joy of the Lord. Which brings us to our main idea. And our main idea is actually a quote from a pastor, Stephen Uley. He says this, and I think we can draw this truth out of this this section of Scripture. Our main idea is that true joy is fueled by, hear this, our appreciation of past restoration and our anticipation of future restoration. Both of those things. In the Christian life, we have both of those things going on at the same time. The appreciation of being saved through Christ, but also the anticipation of God's new creation breaking in and making all things new in the return of Jesus. Man, I so want him to come back. In our present life, we live in this tension. We live in in the tension of of the kingdom of God, which I believe is, I say it this way, is already but not yet. It's already, but not yet. Jesus has inaugurated, has begun his kingdom. Salvation does belong to those who trust uh, in the perfect life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And yet, we know that we are saved through Christ, but what? We still struggle with sin, don't we? We still battle with the flesh. We still see the effects of sin on the creation. People still physically die, don't they? We see the effects of sin on the creation in war and disaster. We're constantly reminded of this, that God has begun a good work in us, but it has not yet witnessed its full completion. I think Psalm 30, four to five, verses 4-5 to five captures this. We see the tension back and forth. It says this, Sing praises to the Lord, O you His saints, and give thanks to His holy name. Hear this, for His anger is what? But for a moment... Now we see the tension, and his favor is for a lifetime. Hear the tension here. Weeping may tarry for the night. Here's a good word here, but joy comes with the morning. You see the tension there of life. So then, if we are people in Christ, we are a people that's rooted in joy. I want to explain joy for just a second. I believe joy and happiness are, are somewhat synonymous, but I think in our culture, they're not because being happy is to me is just kind of a fleeting feeling. Isn't it? Like when I eat a big steak, I'm happy, but in the morning I'm hungry. Okay. You guys get where I'm going with this? It's, it doesn't last. You know, i I enjoy playing music and guitar and I really enjoy buying new guitars and and new gear for music. And I get a new guitar and when it comes in, I'm happy. And then in a few weeks I'm bored with it and I sell it. And then I buy another one and I'm happy. You see how happiness is just kind of, it's like this never ending cycle to me, joy, like true biblical joy is much deeper than just happiness. It's rooted way deeper inside of us because it's rooted in the gospel of Jesus. It doesn't originate from us. It originates outside of us and is implanted in us through his spirit. Joy is deeper than happiness. And so we're going to look at three aspects in which joy is rooted in our walk with Christ that we're going to draw from Psalm 126. Number one, joy is, one, rooted in past restoration. Joy is rooted in past restoration. We see this word restored in Psalm 126. Uh, to be restored or to uh, restore something to, is to put it back to its intended purpose, right? to restore it to its intended purpose. So our restoration is this, our intended purpose when God created us is that we would glorify him and enjoy him forever, spreading his glory throughout all of creation. That's God's intended purpose for humanity, and so God is restoring that purpose through the work of Christ. Uh, Psalm 126, 1-2 says this, it's a reflection of the Israelites seeing this play out as they're brought back into the land that God promised them. It says, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. And then here are the results. Then our mouth was filled with laughter. Who likes a good belly laugh? Right? You know, like Thanksgiving table, you're hanging around, someone cracks a joke or brings up an old memory about Uncle Gus, and everybody just laughs. Everybody's got an Uncle Gus, right? No one? Okay, sorry. I don't either. Our tongue, it says this, then our our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations. Now, get this picture. The nations are looking in upon God's people. They said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. Man, that's my hope for this church. That in, in Bullock County, that our community would look at us and say... Those people are joyful. They're happy. And not just because everything's going right for them, because Lord knows we all have our issues, but there's just this supernatural joy among those people, this deep-seated joy and laughter among the people of God at North Bullet Christian Church. You see, family, our joy is rooted in, in a past event, so it can't be stripped away from us. It's God's restoration or salvation of a people unto himself for his glory. The saving of it in our lives is not just this. It's not just a casual acceptance of Christ, but it's a radical shift or a radical shift in the trajectory of our eternal existence. Our, e- our eternity was he- heading this way without Christ. It was heading towards damnation. But in Christ, our eternity has shifted to relationship with Him. That's beautifully good news. That should fill us with laughter and joy and excitement. In Christ also, we are given a new nature. So we are born into, because of the sin of Adam and Eve, we are born into a sin nature. But through Christ, through His Holy Spirit breaking into us, we are given a new nature. Our trajectory is changed. Our old sin nature is stripped away. We are filled with God's Holy Spirit. And we are changed, hear this, forever. Forever. I think about this uh, when I was reading through restoration. I think of cars. You got car guys in the room? Anyone? Come on, don't don't be shy. I've seen some nice cars out in the parking lot during the summertime. I know they disappear in the winter around here, but... You restore an old car, say you bring it in the garage, uh, usually the, the engine, say you got a, uh, or the motor, the engine, whatever you call it, I'm not necessarily that well versed in cars. You bring it in the garage and that old motor from the 50s, 40s, 50s, 60s, it does, probably doesn't work so well. And if you just painted that thing and, and painted it, you know, candy apple red, put a new interior and they got some vinyl in there, some leather, some new gauges. Uh, but you didn't do anything to the motor. It looks pretty, but its its intended purpose is just not there yet, is it? You drop a new motor into that bad boy, big block Chevy, put some headers on there but no exhaust so that when you start it, like the ground trembles, the gas gauge goes like this when you step on it. It's changed, hasn't it? It's not just pretty on the outside, But the inside's been transformed. It's been changed. Its its intended purpose has been restored. That's what it's like when God gives us the Holy Spirit. We have a new motor. We have a new nature. We're transformed. We are going in the direction God intended for us. The moment of salvation for many of you, especially those who've, who've lived a little bit of life. Do you guys get what I'm saying? Like you've lived some life. You've been through some ups and downs. You've been through some hard times. You've made some poor choices. Or maybe somebody made some poor choices against you. You've lived a little bit of life. Brings about this. When we talk about salvation, when we talk about the work of Christ, it should bring about shouts of joy. I can always tell those people because when I say something, they're the ones that are going, Amen. They understand how far they were from God. And how much Christ has restored them. It reminded me of, this word restoration reminds me of Luke 7. There's a story there where Jesus is hanging out with the religious leaders, the Pharisees, and he's having a meal with them and and a sinful woman comes in. She brings perfume and she starts weeping at Jesus' feet and her tears are falling on his feet and she's wiping his tears or her tears with her, her hair. And she's kissing his feet. And the religious leaders are like, what are you letting this woman do this for? And Jesus teaches them a lesson. You see, because this this woman knew how far she was from God. And she humbled herself. She knew that this was the Savior of the world. And she came to him for restoration And Jesus tells the religious leaders, the self-righteous religious leaders, he says this, therefore I tell you, because her many sins have been forgiven, says this, she has loved much. She loves her Savior much because she understands how far she was from him. And he says this, but he who has been forgiven little, loves little. Here's the truth, family. We've all been forgiven much. We've all been forgiven much. Some of us just understand this at a deeper level because of the radical shift that occurred in your life since you received a new nature in Christ. So much so that the the laughter and the shouts of joy burst forth from your lips. Uh, You may say something like this. I think Paul would have shouted these words in Romans 8.1. He says this, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Remember, family... All the Lord has done for you. The restoration that has taken place through faith in His work. Number two, joy is rooted in present perseverance. Okay, so we see the past. Now we're looking at the present. Okay, the right now. Joy is rooted in present perseverance. Perseverance is a word that means to keep going. Keep going. The next two verses create a pivot point for the psalm. We, we shift from remembrance of the past, restoration of God's people, to now their present situation. Our next point is going to look at what's going to happen in the future. The psalmist says this in verses 3 and 4. says, The Lord has done great things for us. Hear this. I love these three words. We are glad. We are glad. But then it continues to shift. So the psalmist right here is looking back He's saying right now we are glad, and then he's starting the shift to look to call upon God to help them once again. He says, Restore our fortunes, O Lord, hear this, like streams in the Negev. We're going to get into what that means in just a moment. We established earlier God's kingdom is already, but not yet. We witnessed this tension in, in verses three and four. We see the psalmist looking back, we see the psalmist placing himself right there in present time, and then calling upon the Lord uh, to influence and change the future. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. I believe we see this tension play out right here in this room each and every Sunday. As we come in, and some of us have struggled this week, we've been beat up by news that's going on on the TV, or maybe stuff that's happened in our family, or sickness, or disease, or family strife, or what job struggles, whatever those things are, and you kind of limped in here this morning. We see this tension right here in this room. And then you come in, and Greg hits that first chord, and God's people, the voices start singing. Everybody's kind of sleepy because it's the spring-forward one where we all lost an hour of sleep. But the voices start to build, right? And we start to sing... And God's people start singing praises to our King, Jesus, and it gets louder and louder as the words impact our hearts. And I think many of us can, even in the middle of the struggle of our lives, we stop and say, I know I do this when I'm here. We are glad. I'm glad I'm here. I'm glad I'm here to hear the praises of God's people, to hear his word preached, To have the Bible impact my heart and, and reflect once again upon the goodness of Jesus, that the gospel about Jesus would fall afresh on me each and every week, that it would never get old. Each Sunday we gather, remembering the great things that the Lord has done for us, and our hearts are glad. The gathering family, it's fuel for our soul. It's an incredible collision of of spiritual and physical. There's something supernatural when the people of God gather together and praise Him and hear from His Word and receive communion and see people baptize and give their lives to Jesus. And we call upon God when we gather together. God, would you fill up our dry streams once again with water? That's the picture we get of, of streams of Negev. In the Negev region, drought would strike the land. So think of like a, if you can close your eyes and think about a a desert dry land. See, I come from Southern California and I lived in an area called the High Desert. Okay? And there's a number of reasons why you can call it the High Desert. I'm not going to get into that. There was a lot of meth labs out in the desert. (laughs) Okay, keep going. So, the... uh, but actually, it was just high in elevation. <laughs> we had some inside jokes out there. okay, keep going so desert okay out in the desert it doesn 't rain much. We would get like three to five inches of rain a year there. okay We got that last week here and so what would what would happen i think it 's very similar climate to this what the psalmist is talking about here this, the The land just gets dry and cracked and but when the rain comes it it funnels out these canals, these channels because there 's The desert's not used to rain, and it doesn't soak up into the ground, so it runs across and kind of cuts through the land. And so when it would fall away, you'd have all these empty channels. And so the psalmist is picturing all these empty, dry channels okay and he 's calling upon the Lord to fill them up, and that would happen in the gap the The rains would come in and fill these these canals, these channels, and they would overflow with water they overflow the same thing would happen back home, and it, flooding would happen everywhere, and then the water would recede, okay it would eventually soak into the ground or run off somewhere and then what would happen like quickly was green stuff would start to grow, just this this low. Uh, plant life would start to grow, and it would explode in these beautiful, it was usually pink or purple flowers. Even, even the cacti, these green ugly cacti would burst out this big gigantic pink flower. It was like a, like a derby hat, you know what I mean, on top of this cactus. But you go out in the desert after that rain, and the waters are seed, and within a few weeks that sun's beaten down, and it just comes to life. And then it's dead like two days later. That, that's the picture we get here is that you have this lifeless thing that, people, that God's people are calling for, them, for God to restore and, and it's watered and then it's teeming with life once again. Canals overflowing. Plants bursting forth. Isn't this what life is like? You, you got these drought, dry seasons and then God waters you and, and it blooms back. We see it in the ebb and flow of life maybe sometimes week in and week out but we can also stand back and kind of see the big roller coaster of life up and down This psalm is such a clear reality of our journey in Christ dry seasons and rich seasons of blessing but 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 the Lord roots our joy in knowing that He has restored you. And hear this, and He's continuing to restore you. To, the word we used was perseverance, to persevere you. Family, hear this, He is with you and He is for you. Paul gives us this tension in Romans 8, 12-17. says, So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will what? Live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God. Did you notice that? For all who are led by the Spirit of God. Hear this. are sons of God. We can say sons and daughters because this includes women also. The family of God. For you did not receive, hear this, the spirit of slavery. That's not the spirit we received to fall back into fear. But you have received this, hear this beautiful truth, the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by whom we cry, hear this, Abba, Father. Do you know what that means? Daddy. We call him Dad. Because we're adopted into his family. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. Hear this, that we are children of God. And if children, okay, we're not just the neglected children. We are also heirs, it says. We're heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him you see the tension of perseverance right now that we are to suffer as christ has suffered but we have this beautiful inheritance coming to us and right now in the present time we can we can call upon god as dad father simply put keep going persevere The Spirit of God is not given so that we can slip the the chains of enslavement of sin back on and go back to our old ways. That's what Israel wanted to do. When God delivered them from their slavery in Egypt, they kept saying, but we want to go back. And God kept carrying them along and leading them. Inevitably, that's what we all want to do. We want to go back, but God's Spirit keeps empowering us, and the people of God keep pulling us along, and the Word of God keeps uh, blessing our heart and guiding us. We're freed by the Spirit to live as God has intended us to be. We're restored. Our intended use is, is granted to us. Persevere. Number three, joy is rooted in future promise. Joy is rooted in future promise. And here's a, we know this, if God's been faithful to us all along the way, he's going to be faithful to bring it all to completion. His word says so. I want you to walk away with this truth this morning. If you don't, if you don't remember anything else I said, I've said this before. I'll say it probably a million times again. This is something we can be confident of. God wins the end. God wins the end. Again, we see the, the tension of, of the now and not yet in verses 5 to 6. It says, Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping shall... Bearing the seed for sowing, you see that all the results shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves, that is, his rich harvest, with him. That's what God promises. The psalmist illustrates this picture for us like, in, in agricultural uh, language and images. Okay. We, we can identify a little bit with this because in the next few months, we're going to start getting seeds. Usually a lot of us will grow a little vegetable garden behind our house. We're going to start getting seeds. Some of you are like, I don't touch seeds. I don't have a green thumb. Nothing grows around here for me. Some of you do because you bring me a lot of tomatoes. So you're going to get seeds. And seeds, when you take them out of the package, I mean, do they look like they have a lot of life to them? They don't. They're just kind of dry and dead looking. And you're going to walk out and you're going to stick that thing in the ground and it's going to rain. And then in a little while, plant starts to come forward, doesn't it? Think about zucchini. Isn't zucchini crazy? I mean, it's like, you guys got to understand, I, again, back to the desert thing, like I, where I live, things didn't grow. So for three years, I've been here now, and when I see stuff come up out of the ground that I didn't have to water and like go out there and keep an eye on every day, this is amazing to me. Like zucchini, like we can pick zucchini in our own backyard here. This is a, That's crazy. And they're big. You get to the end of the summer and it's like, I'm sick of zucchini. Don't give me any more zucchini. You put the seed in the ground and it grows and it brings about this beautiful harvest, bountiful harvest. We get the, the thought of the, of the farmer just kind of, I'm not sure if this is going to work out, putting the seeds in the ground. But what happens? A harvest grows. We can be sure that our God is faithful. This this relates to our life. As you keep sowing seeds, you keep persevering, you keep remembering what God has done for you, God is going to bless you with a bountiful harvest. He will reward you for your faithfulness. He loves you, you're His child. Maybe you've seen this in your own life The, the picture looks bleak, the situation is difficult. It's unbelievable to you that God took you through whatever situation you were going through. We all have testimonies like that, that. God did that for me. Laughter and joy filled the air. Tears of joy well up in your eyes and streamed down our cheeks. It reminds me of this quote from Eugene Peterson. He said this, laughter does not exclude weeping. I'm going to share a, a, one more story with you and then I'll wrap up. I've done... Uh, I've done too many funerals this last month. We've had a lot of people pass to eternal rest recently and over the last year. There's a beautiful thing that happens when you usually I I do my best to meet with the family and plan out the funeral to honor that person and also walk through how we're going to preach the gospel in that environment. And what I want to do, especially if I don't know the person particularly well, is I'll, I'll sit around the table with them, and I just invite them. Like, Would you just tell me? Tell me stories. Tell me about that person. Share funny stuff that happened. Share the things that, that stick with you the most. And inevitably, what happens is, is they're, a lot of times they're crying because they've lost their loved one. They're in grief and pain. But what happens? They start thinking. Right? And the laughter comes out. You get that when family gets up and shares at a funeral service, these beautiful stories, and everybody starts in the midst of grief and pain and weeping, laughter. It's kind of how we travel through life right now, but laughter does not exclude weeping. I want to share this one more verse with you from Romans 8:18. 8, Paul says this, this is a promise, this is the promise that we're talking about. Joy rooted in a future promise, what does that look like? Paul gives it to us in one sentence. He says this, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time, I want to pause there. Paul understood what it was like to suffer. He had had some sort of ailment that God never took from him but that Paul concluded was, was good because God's grace was sufficient for him. Paul was imprisoned, and he wasn't imprisoned because he stole money from somebody or he did something wrong. The wrong thing that he did was he proclaimed Christ and him crucified. And he went to prison. Paul understood suffering And that that man of suffering said these words, inspired by God's Holy Spirit, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Family, we have to hold fast to that promise. That our joy is rooted in a future Promise. Our joy is rooted in the fact that Christ has won us. He saved us at the cross through faith and belief in His work. Our joy is in the present as we persevere with God's Spirit who has filled us and walks along us, uh, along with the Word of God which instructs us and the family of God which keeps us on the right path and a joy that is rooted in the future promise of this that Jesus will return and He is making all things new that our present time is not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to you. It's going to be a beautiful, beautiful day. Amen?